Welcome back to, where are we? Exploring the Lord of the Rings. That's where we are. It's Tuesday. Uh, welcome back, everybody. This is session number 128 of Exploring the Lord of the Rings. Uh, good to be back with you again this evening uh, as we are going to be discussing Bilbo's uh, sudden interruption of the proceedings, his uh, intervention into the somewhat tense moment that we've been talking about, the uh, conversation there between Boromir and Aragorn. Uh, so, um, there we are. Scooter, did I say the wrong thing? Did I say 128? 138 is what I meant. This is session number 138, for the record, of exploring the the, uh, the Lord of the Rings. Um, absolutely. Mad by when it says, you mean when, Mad, when Bilbo administers a, a needed smackdown? Yes. Uh, I have to... Um, uh, I have to say, Mad Violinist, the line that he delivers after the poem, right? If that was worth a journey of 110 days to here, you should you had best listen to it. It's just one of my favorite lines of the entire Lord of the Rings. Um, but uh, <laughs> anyway, um, uh, so... Yeah, we're gonna uh, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get to that here in just a minute. Let me start off with a few uh, uh, announcements because there's a a bunch of uh, sort of uh, uh, there a bunch of things going on in the Signum world, including one really big thing that's coming in the Signum world. Uh, so a um, uh, small things, uh, you know, sort of the sort of normal kinds of announcements uh, are uh, we have a, a, another Signum Symposium coming up, our summer classes roundtable on April 21st at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Um, all the, the faculty who are teaching our summer courses are going to be uh, are going to be getting together, talking about their courses and things. That's going to be a lot of fun. If you want a, a little preview about what's going on at Signum this summer in our master's program, then you can um, uh, attend that again April 21st at 1 p.m. Uh, that's going to be, again, just go to the Signum University homepage and you'll be able to scroll down a little bit and find the link to that uh, event. We are continuing to run our Anytime Audit Quarantine special. Uh, for those of you who are interested in uh, taking advantage of perhaps if you have some extra time to... Um, uh, to catch up on some learning, right? Do do some uh, do some great classes. Uh, that's going to be great. And yes, sorry, that's that's Eastern time, Mad Violinist. Yes, one p.m. Eastern time uh, on uh, April twenty first for the summer classes roundtable. Um, and uh, I did want. Oh yeah, I wanted to also mention Signum Academy. Uh, our kids program is doing a session on a wrinkle in time on Monday, this coming Monday at seven thirty p.m. Eastern time. Uh, now. The big thing that's coming that I wanted to mention, and I'll talk about this more later. Um, there's going to be a, a lot more opportunities to discuss this later, but uh, uh, Signum is launching a brand new program very soon. Uh, and this is not like it shouldn't come as a huge shock. I've sort of talked about this at various times, especially uh, during our um, uh, during my State of the University address last fall, uh, but the time has come. We are getting ready to launch our Signum Path program, uh, which is our program for professional development, um, for uh, people to be building these foundational career skills. Really excited about this program. I think this is going to be uh, uh, both fun and really useful for a lot of people. Uh, so I'm excited about that. We'll talk to you, be talking to you guys more about that. Our first registration period is going to open up in just a few weeks, actually. We're going to be starting our courses in June. Uh, very exciting. Uh, coming around the corner now. And uh, I'll be explaining more about that uh, here in the next, uh, in the next you know, days and, and uh, weeks as we uh, prepare to launch registration there, uh, which is a lot of fun. So we're going to be 
we're going to be uh, we're we're moving forward with that. And as I said, more on that soon. Uh, but uh, but that's going to be that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> I see Mike was saying that uh, his nine-year-old daughter just walked by the screen and was really curious about what swear word was the K word. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or just just let her wonder. Well, no, don't 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 have her guess. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, all right. So let us get back to uh, let us get back to to Aragorn and Boromir and Bilbo here. So we um, we start with. Um, uh, Marielle had a really great general point uh, about Boromir, which I wanted to come back to because I, you know, I've, you know, been trying to make sure to give this perspective, I, like plenty of opportunity, right? Like I don't want to try to. Some people have, I think, uh, have thought I've been harsh against Boromir, not wanting to be harsh against Boromir, uh, and I think Marielle's reading here is really, really good. Um, she said, listening to episode 137, as we carefully considered Boromir's response to Aragorn's rather gentle challenge, I had a thought that I never had before. Could it be that Boromir, though, yes, proud and imperfect, is actually being rather prudent here? Consider the situation from his point of view. He arrives at the house of this reputedly wise elf that almost no one in Gondor has ever heard of before, tells him he's got this tricky riddle, and is told to wait for the answer that the elf totally knows. Then he gets hit with reveal after reveal, culminating with this elf declaring this scruffy-looking vagabond is actually his rightful king. Not to turn Boromir into a Game of Thrones character, but I wouldn't blame him for being hesitant if not outright suspicious. Elrond is deemed wise, yes, but so was Saruman. Uh, So even in Tolkien, there can be an overlap between wise and crafty. Also, even if Boromir has ulterior motives to rejecting a claimant to the kingship, he also probably still has a highly romanticized idea of the future king. If he is someone so mighty and awesome, in the old sense, that he could in theory displace even Denethor, whom we know is an impressive figure, Aragorn has to be a bit of a letdown. He could even justify it in terms of the steward's oaths. Surely that would include protecting the throne from pretenders and elvish tricks, wouldn't it? In short, I can't blame Boromir for wanting time to evaluate Elrond, Aragorn, and their claims before committing himself. So, um, absolutely. I mean, I think that that's, this is a really important thing. One of the things that's really fun about sort of taking so long to discuss this scene as we've been doing is it gives us a chance to do this, right? This is a re- and I think this is a really constructive exercise, thinking through this whole scene, right, this whole exchange, um, as we've been at least sort of doing partially as we've gone through each paragraph, thinking about them from each different character's point of view, right? What does this situation look like to Boromir? What does the situation look like to Aragorn? What does it look like to Frodo, right? And, of course, we're going to get to what does it look like to Bilbo as well. Um, so, um, anyway, I, I, I completely agree. I mean, there is, uh, it is easy to focus, I think even perhaps fixate on the ulterior motives, right? It's easy to, to, and I, you know, I, I appreciate your, uh, distinction, but also comparison there, Mario. It's easy to sort of think of him, uh, in an immediate kind of Game of Thrones mindset, right? And be thinking of him as like, this is somebody who is invested, you know, who has an investment in protecting his own power. So he is going to be, um, uh, he is going to be hostile to Aragorn because he's not going to want Aragorn to be king because he wants to, because that, that will displace him and he won't have that, you know, he will not sit by and let his own power be removed. 
that I think brings a whole set of assumptions to this, which is not not only not necessarily appropriate, but not necessarily fair to Boromir either. So, Mario, I think you're completely correct. Um, and not to um, to to kind of uh, break my own rules a tiny little bit, right? And think back, think ahead to something that hasn't happened yet, right? Um, remember the comment that Faramir is eventually going to make about this, right? When he says of Boromir, right? Knowing his brother as he does, he will say to Frodo that if, if Boromir were satisfied of Aragorn's claim, as Frodo has said, then he, Faramir says, I have no doubt he would greatly reverence him, right? So I think that Mariel, uh, Mariel, you're the, the point that I, that I, found most powerful. Uh, I mean, there's a, a great, great argument altogether. Um, but the thing that hits me hardest there is that when we think about what is Boromir's gonna, reaction going to be to somebody stepping forward and saying, here's the heir of Elendil. This is the guy who could come and claim the kingship to Gondor. Instead of immediately thinking that his first or only or even primary reaction would be oh man, like, that's me out of a job, right? That's displacing me and my father and I won't have it. Maybe that is what he's thinking. That's probably involved. He is proud, not only personally proud, but proud of his father, proud of his line, right? Um, Proud of Gondor as it is. Um, So... um, so yes, I'm, I, I, I'm not saying that I don't think it's possible that he's experiencing those things, but I certainly agree with Marielle that at least one of the things that he's going to be experiencing, right, is going to be awe, right, is going to be, uh, if, if he's willing, if he's willing to accept, if he's willing to believe that this claim is true, then this is a complete eucatastrophe, and he is going to be... Um, just utterly blown away by this, right? I mean, this is going to be to him like a miracle, right? So anyway, I, 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 I agree. I think it's a really, really important thing to keep in mind uh, there. Um, um, so, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, too good to be true. Angrist, you're absolutely right. That's one of the potential object. I mean, I, I, I think it's important to to remember that, right? That one of the things that could well be motivating his skepticism is not like we don't need any stinking kings in Gondor, right? You know, Denethor's line is doing a fine job, thank you. But rather, yeah, this is too good to be true, right? No way, no way, no way. Come on, seriously. At this time of day, you're telling me that now, after we've been waiting for how long? Right. Thousands, literally thousands of years we've been waiting for the king. You know, we've been the the stewards have been holding the seat warm or rather sitting near the seat, not even keeping it warm. Right. Um, uh, Letting the seat collect dust while we sit here. Anyway, we've been doing this for thousands of years. And uh, uh, and now you're telling me that this that it's happening now. Now, I mean, of all times now, right? At the time when things are so desperate in Gondor, when, like, it looked like the writing on the wall for the final doom of Minas Tirith is at hand. We talked about that. Like, that's where he goes right away. Okay, so this does mean the doom of Minas Tirith is at hand, right? You know he's been thinking that, right? Um, And that the only hope that they had was to follow this lead, right, given to them in the dream, this miraculous vision that they received. And now, holy cow, the king returning, the heir of Elendil, exists 
and is here and has the sword of Elendil? I mean, oh my goodness, right? Um, uh, it's um, it's amazing, right? Uh, so yeah, I, I think it's it's really important for us to remember uh, that that is very likely we're streaming. All right. Okay. So far, so good. No catastrophic crashes. Exactly, Tarloni. I'm trying not to cross the streams. That's exactly what I'm doing. Um, okay. Very good. So, far, tell you what. I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna leave the game off because that actually. I if I I, I my suspicion as to what's causing the problem is the uh, the separate Windows install that. Uh, so I'm going to just, I'm just going to leave that, right? If this is working, let's run with this. So, uh, and let me do get the Twitch chat back though. Okay. All right. All right. Sorry. (laughs) That was, I was all of a sudden just talking to a black screen. And then I got, I got twice on two different occasions. I got the Mac screen of death which I haven't seen in like five years. Um, The one with uh, like the power symbol and like the warnings in bunches of different languages, (laughs) that one. (laughs) I was like, oh man, holy cow. Okay, so yeah, that happened twice. Like I rebooted and then it hit it again. I was like, oh man. So um, yeah, I know. Isn't that a bad screen? Yes, the kernel panic screen. That's exactly it. That's the one I got. Um, So whew, ah, yikes. All right. But we're good. We're back. And I think we're okay. Um, uh, so <laughs> I'm like very nervous. So thank you, Marielle, for this comment, because this is really important. The, the Just a, a brief recap, recap, what we were talking about on Twitter while you guys were gone, was somebody was uh, observing that one of the things, because of Denethor's own sort of uh like he clearly feels his position in threat and responds uh to that and of course the scathing words that he says about this ranger from the north right um and and of course knowing that as we're told later on that Boromir is sort of very much his father's son it makes it the easier right to attribute to him in the council those kinds of politically motivated uh self-interested motivations, right? Um, and I think that that's very true, and it's very natural, but um, uh, but I don't um, uh, I don't think that we can safely just apply that, right? Again, we will get later on Faramir's testimony that it's not like that, right? That that's not um, uh, it's not the only way to think about it, um, you know, that that's not, inev- that's certainly not going to be Boromir's only relationship uh, to this whole situation. Um, but, um, okay, yeah. No, Simon, I, I, I think it's an element. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, uh, you know, in, in agreeing with Marielle's argument, I'm not saying that I think that political motivation or even his own self-interest plays no part whatsoever uh, in Boromir's perspective. I just very much agree with Marielle that it's very easy to overplay that, right? Or to to kind of, as she put it, imagine Boromir like he's just a Game of Thrones character, right? Um, he's not in that world, and he doesn't think that way. Um, so, anyway. Um, yeah, yeah. 
Good. Yeah, Tony, uh, you're right. Yeah, that it's sort of like Amir's comments about legends springing out of the grass. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Um, um, yeah. Arfinwin, yes. Yes, it is. Uh, Faramir, who is more like his father, yes. But I'm going to resist talking about that. Having broken the rule myself and gone ahead to what Faramir said, uh, I'm going to back down from that now. And because I, I know I could get, we could end up getting distracted and talking about Faramir, uh, you know, for another half hour. And I don't want to do that. Um, so, okay. Um, and no, no, Chris, I'm not going to talk about Shagrat and Gorbag either, so you can forget it. <laughs> That's exactly right. Sorry, he's referring to my refusal to answer his question about Shagrat and Gorbag last week in our Morgoth Ring discussion. Absolutely. Um, okay. All right. Um, right. So uh, uh, let's uh, let's. Oops, not go that way. Let's go this way. Let's keep. Let's go back to the text here. So let's. I want to. Last week, I assigned homework, right, which was to compare and contrast the ways in which the poem emerges. The same, this identical poem is given twice in two different places in the book, right? We've had an example of that, a clear example of that, with Bilbo and Frodo both singing the road, you know, reciting the road goes ever on uh, poem when they leave Bag End, right, and under very similar circumstances. Well, in very similar kind of settings, right, though different circumstances. Um, and we looked at the time about the significance uh, uh, for that. Um, this is a little bit different, right? But it's another instance of the same poem being applied in a different way. So my homework assignment was compare and contrast the context of this. How does this poem hit us differently a second time? Uh, or to, you know, to ask the question somewhat more whimsically as I did, what is the justification for giving us this same poem a second time? We've already heard this, right? Um, so... Here's, uh, let me reread the passage, uh, and I want you to be thinking carefully about, to be listening carefully to the poem in this context. We've talked about the poem at length before. Um, Frodo felt Bilbo stir impatiently at his side. Evidently, he was annoyed on his friend's behalf. Standing suddenly up, he burst out. All that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not reached by the frost. From the ashes a fire shall be woken, a light from the shadows shall spring. Renewed shall be blade that was broken, the crownless again shall be king. Not very good, perhaps, but to the point, if you need more beyond the word of Elrond. If that was worth a journey of a hundred and ten days to hear, you had best listen to it. He sat down with a snort. Okay, as I said, that that his, uh, his smackdown, Chris, as you said, after the poem is really my favorite part. Um, but, um, good. Yes. Mad violinist. This is one of the things that we can notice right away, right? Is that there is an interesting trend here is that in both of the cases, both of the times this poem is recited, Aragorn's identity is in doubt, right? In the, in it, Bree, he has just, uh, you know, he's claimed, to be a friend of Gandalf, right? He's planned, or no, he hasn't claimed that yet, right? Um, but he has, uh, you know, he's claimed to be their ally and their friend, and they're trying to figure out, can they trust him? Who is this guy and can we trust him, right? And in that context, this poem comes out in one of Gandalf's postscripts of his letter, right? 
Now here, Boromir seems to be questioning if such a thing could indeed return out of the shadows of the past, he says, right? Looking at Aragorn in doubt was in his eyes, right? So again, um, uh, Aragorn's uh, identity, legitimacy, trustworthiness, in a sense, are being questioned, right? Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's, that's really important. So let me, let me, let me, I have some selections. I see several people, uh, we're already jumping in. I think all of the, uh, so I'm going to do a thing which, you know, normally you're not supposed to do, uh, which is, uh, distribute a few people's homework for everybody to look at. Uh, but since they posted it on a public forum, it seemed okay. Uh, so Here's uh, one sample. This flammifer is uh, uh, something that you were just posting about again. The two versions, he points out, of the All That Is Gold Is Not Glitter poem are almost identical, but not quite. The last two lines in the poem in The Prancing Pony are Renewed shall be blade that was broken, the crownless again shall be king. With a comma after Renewed shall be blade that was broken. The words are the same when the poem is recited in Rivendell, but the comma after broken is changed to a colon. The effect of this greater pause is to add greater emphasis to the last line, which, of course, everyone has been carefully not referring to in the council until Bilbo puts his foot in it. It is certainly true that one of the most noteworthy things about the poem in its new context is that the last line now becomes a bombshell, right? It was, I mean, at the end in Bree, it's quite unclear what that means, right? In fact, if you remember when Frodo, Frodo's response to Gandalf, when Gandalf explains who who Aragorn and the Rangers are, right? When you know, he remember the very line that he says is like, "I Strider is one of the old kings," right? He's amazed to hear this. Like, there's no way he put that together, right? So he clearly did not take that in any kind of literal sense, right? Um, the, the poem, that is, right? Aragorn told him that, you know, I am Aragorn and those verses go with that name, he says to them in Bree, right? So Aragorn claims that the poem is about him, right? Um, but, um, uh, so he claims that the poem is about him, but Frodo doesn't seem to take it seriously, Right? He doesn't seem to take it seriously. Uh, that he doesn't seem to take it literally, because when Gandalf says he's one of the people of the old kings, Frodo's like, no way, really? So again, it's not. I, I, I'm emphasizing this in order to emphasize the extent to which the last line in Bree is not that consequential, right? It's just one of the many pieces, uh, or like one of the metaphors. Right? Renewed shall be blade that was broken, the crownless again shall be king. Now you might think, if you were Frodo or Sam or one of the rest, right, when Aragorn pulls out his broken sword and shows that the second to last line of the poem, at least, was perfectly literal, right? Uh, yeah, there's no, 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 broken sword, not a metaphor. Here's a literal broken sword right here, right? That perhaps they might also have made the leap to think that the last line was not metaphorical, but in fact also quite literal, uh, that Aragorn, in fact, was going someday to be a king. Um, But again, it's obvious that Frodo did not make that connection. Here, when that line comes out now, the second time, I mean, dude, this this is what nobody has said. This is what both Aragorn and 
uh, certainly Boromir, which goes without saying, but Elrond also, right, have been carefully sort of skirting around. No one's saying this. No one is talking about Aragorn's claim. And I think it's, it's important, right, uh, that no one's doing that. Because, and, and, and there are really good reasons for that, not just because they need to be a little cautious with Boromir and not, like, slam his face in it, but at the same time, more importantly, that's not the point. I mean, even when he does, Aragorn eventually does get to Minas Tirith, he's not going to claim the kingship. That's not the plan. Right? That's not plan A. Plan A is, let's get together and help to defeat Sauron. Right? Then plan B is... Um, uh, uh, then plan B is the kingship thing. Right? The kingship stuff will come later. Um, so, to shift things at this point in the council. If either Elrond or Aragorn were um, focusing on Aragorn's claim to rule in Gondor, they would not only be guilty of being impolitic, right, or undiplomatic, um, they'd be burying the lead, right? That's not the point at all. Um, Exactly, Gogonther. Plan A, save the world. Plan B, claim your throne if there's a world left. Exactly. And that seems a very sensible prioritization. Um, um, <laughs> one impossible thing at a time. Exactly like Jean-Luc Picard says, Tony. There you go. Um, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I agree, Arahad. In Bree, the emphasis is much more... It's if, if one of the lines of the poem hits hard in Bree, it's the first one. As you say, that seems sensible to me. All that is gold does not glitter, right? Uh, you know, if you don't like the look of me, it's okay, right? But don't, don't j- jump to a snap judgment based on that, because all that is gold does not glitter, right? Um, in, um, in Rivendell... Right in the middle of the council, in the midst of all of these discussions that, you know, Aragorn saying to Boromir, you know, would you have the House of Elrond return to Gondor? Elrond, I did it again. The House of Elendil return to Gondor. Uh, And in the midst of that, that last line booms, right? And Flamifer is right. It's a really interesting change in punctuation, right? Both for the reason that Flamifer said explicitly here, that is... You, you, you'd hear that, too, right? Uh, renewed shall be blade that was broken, the crownless again shall be king. A colon, there's, there's some verbal wind-up involved in a colon, right? Renewed shall be blade that was broken, the crownless again shall be king, right? It's got to come out sounding differently when, with a colon instead of with a comma. Um, but in addition, as, uh, Dor- as, uh, as uh, Dora Ward was saying... Um, there's also a logical change, right? Not only a, a change in the sound as you would hear it, the rhythm of the of the verses, um, but also in the logic of the verses, right? A comma, renewed shall be blade that was broken, the crownless again shall be king. It is one more item in a list, right? Uh, sort of the list of the metaphors, right? Light springing from the shadows, fire coming out of the ashes, right? Um... The bl- a blade that was broken being renewed, crownless again being king, right? These are all lists of uh, things that are kind of these accumulating metaphors of hope and renewal, right, that we're getting in the last four lines of the poem. With the colon now, it's different, right? Renewed shall be blade that was broken, colon, the crownless again shall be king, right? Um, 
those two things are linked together. They're not just items in a list, right? They're linked together. And I agree, that's really, uh, that's really important. Um, uh, yes, Marielle, I do agree that if one were to dramatically deliver a line with a colon, it would be natural, I think, to take a deep breath and renew the line with emphasis. It sure would. It sure would. Um, yes. So the therefore, which is implied by the addition of the colon at Rivendell, serves to boost. Again, however you punctuated it, that last line is going to echo pretty loudly in this room, right? But given uh, the, the, the punctuation shows, I think, that Bilbo is not missing the opportunity to really land on that line, right? Um, somewhat grumpily. Right. So, okay. Uh, so that's uh, a great point by, uh, by Flamifer. Uh, second homework sample. This is from JJ. In Brie, the, first, the poem first shows up in Gandalf's letter to Frodo. It is placed between two postscripts and isn't even directly tied to Aragorn until Aragorn himself quotes two lines from it. The first four lines read as a proverb warning against judging things by their appearance, while the last four can be read as hopeful reassurance, simply stating that things will get better. Even when Aragorn claims the poem goes with his name, it doesn't tell us too much about him. He'll show the broken sword, but even that doesn't tell us much. We don't know, for instance, whether the king in question is Aragorn or someone else, or even whether the king is figurative or literal. In Rivendell, by contrast, we are able to take much of the information we have learned and interpret much more of the poem. I imagine that upon being reminded of the poem, someone reading this book for the first time would find that it makes much more sense and has far more impact than the instance in Brie. Absolutely. Um, I think that it is very possible to, even even if you're reading the poem with attention the first time, it is very possible to uh, miss, overlook the fact that it's predicting. Like, those future tense lines are not just... Knowing what we know, right, in hindsight, we can see it as a prophecy, right? Renewed shall be blade that was broken. The crownless again shall be king. Um, uh, but J.J.'s absolutely right. At the time, we don't have any clear reason to necessarily believe that. Again, if you imagine yourself as a first-time reader, right, knowing nothing about this guy, right, this rando guy they just met at the Inn at Bree, um, and not knowing how the story is going to turn out or anything like that, you're only going to... Um, uh, yeah, so you're, you're... It could very well sound, as JJ says, just like um, metaphors to convey hope. Right. Um, it could just be a kind of generally cheerful uh, poem. Right. Um, talking about, as, as JJ says, how things are going to get better. Um, uh, I think that that's that's a really important um, uh, perspective. Yeah, exactly. The kid says in Brie, it's reassuring in Rivendell. It's wham. Yeah. We have so much more information now. We've heck, we've learned so much information just in the last few pages. Um, that now, I mean, again, think back just to the sword that was broken. Renewed shall be blade that was broken, right? Um, 
just that now means so much. Having just had Aragorn's speech about the sword of Elendil that broke beneath him when he fell, uh, and it's the the explicit and Boromir's uh, uh, prophet, his own prophetic verse, right about uh, seeking for the sword that was broken. Um, and then to, you know, seek for the sword that was broken and Imladris it dwells and then to have renewed shall be blade that was broken. The crownless again shall be king. Um, it now sounds very, very pointed indeed. Right. Um, absolutely. Um, yeah. So. Um, excellent. I think that that's a really important way to think through this uh the, the differences here, right? Um, all right, third homework sample. This is from Fourth Dauntless. Uh, it's only, uh, all of these are only partial. Uh, the homework assignments were a good deal longer than this, and there's uh, much really interesting left in what I haven't quoted uh, and in things other people said in, in response as well on the discussion boards. For the characters, the first inclusion is much more important. It comes at a time of great fear and uncertainty. In the midst of that, the hobbits receive a message from someone they know and trust, and that message provides a ray of hope. Gandalf's friend Strider might help them. I should say, Fourth Dauntless in his earlier paragraphs of this had said that Bilbo's quotation of the poem, though it hits us really hard uh, in a lot of ways, both because we understand it better and also because, as he said, it's, uh, it's really emotionally powerful due to our own relationship with Bilbo. Um, and I thought that that was, I totally agree with you for thoughtless. I feel that way too. Um, but, um, but he was arguing when we look at it, this doesn't actually contribute much to the discussion. I mean, no one's going to pick up on it explicitly. Right. And after Bilbo sits down with a huff, we're going to kind of move on. Right. Um, so, um, uh, anyway, so so that was the the point that he had making that he had been making is that the first time, uh, it 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 has a huge plot impact, right? It has a huge impact on the plot. Here in the Council of Elrond, it doesn't so much. Um, the poem has a real practical effect on the hobbits. Strider happens to know a line from the poem, even having never seen the letter. Suddenly, this random aside in Gandalf's letter becomes a badge of identity. This Strider whom they have met is the genuine article. And they may now have hope that he can get you out of this pickle. This is the sort of practical hope that Frodo and company needed in the moment, and it got them moving forward. Bilbo's recitation provides no practical benefit in the moment. Instead, it's an abstract expression of Bilbo's faith in his friend, and possibly the source of his peculiar luck, that Aragorn, son of Arathorn, will sit on the throne of Gondor, that the king will return. The first instance gives Amdir, the second expresses Estel. And of course, those are two elvish words which can be translated hope, uh, but which have very different senses. Amdir meaning uh, looking up. That is like the belief that things will get better. The belief that you're going to make, the belief that the thing that you're doing is going to have a successful outcome, right? Um, Sort of practical hope in that way. Um, Estel is the larger... Uh, uh, sort of spiritual hope, right? The the spiritual framework which contextualizes everything in such a way that you uh, um, um, are able to sort of hold, no matter what happens, you're able to hold on through that. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. Valori, I absolutely loved that. So for those of you who don't play Lotro, uh, there's a ranger. When, you're, uh, when you do the, uh, the Hobbit or Human, uh, when you start a character who's a Hobbit or a Human, the intro sequence that you do, you meet this ranger. Um, and he ends up fighting with the Nazgul and he gets stabbed with a Morgul blade and he ends up falling uh, to the corruption uh, and getting wraithified and uh, uh, being made into an instrument uh, of evil and eventually has to be destroyed. And his name is Amdir, actually. So you have, uh, as the sort of, the uh, he's friend of Aragorn, right? And uh, whose name, of course, in his youth was Estel. Um, so I always loved those, th- you know, uh, Amdir dies, Amdir dies, right? I mean, like, the, uh, uh, and that's, I think, actually, um, I always felt, actually, that that quest line taken sort of uh, um, I, allegorically um, was really powerful and uh, uh, really, um, really apropos. Um, it is not Amdir. You can't rely on Amdir, right? Amdir isn't going to get you through. Um, it's not Amdir, that's going to get Sam up Mount Doom, right? It's not Amdir. It's, in the end, Amdir fails. Because the fact is, again, as Sam will remember on the stairs of Kirith Ungol, stories don't always end well for the characters who are in them, right? Um, Amdir will betray you if you try to rest on it, right? If you rely only upon it. Now, again, I'm not saying Amdir is bad, right? Uh, Amdir, that kind of hope, right? But it is it is much more limited, right? It's a good thing, but it's it you can't you can't rest there, right? Uh, it's not enough. It's not enough. Exactly, Lincoln. Sam seeing the star up in the sky in Mordor. That that scene is the purest and most powerful expression of what Estelle is and what Estelle means. That insight that Sam has, that in the end, the shadow is a small and passing thing, right? And he goes to sleep, not because he believes he is filled with a new confidence that everything's going to work out fine for him personally, right? For all he knows, orcs are going to come and kill him and Frodo while they're sleeping, right? But in that moment, it doesn't matter to him, right? Um, He ceases to worry about what's going to come of them and instead is just thinking of the big picture and knows that whatever happens to them, things are going to work out okay. Um, But um, anyway... Uh, okay, sorry. See, uh, fourth uh, you in, you you inspired a a, a, a digression. Um, but anyway, I, I think that this is a that's that's a really interesting way to think about this, and uh, I would connect it fourth dauntless with the way in which, um, with the way in which we can see the the different impact of the of the poems so again the first one does have a practical impact right it's it's like a password as several of you have said right it confirms strider's identity frodo and the others are able to say okay right it's proved right we can trust this guy we don't have to worry um well okay we do still have to worry about some things but we don't have to worry anyway about this guy right um and that he might betray us or that he's actually um you know working with the nazgûl or something like that um, uh, there's practical reassurance that's given. Here, 
it's just a statement. But again, I'd go back to what JJ was saying about how at first it sounds like general encouragement and wise advice, the poem does, right? And the second time is when it sounds like a prophecy, like a prediction, like a statement of Estelle, right? I, I believe that things are going to turn out. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good, good. Um, okay. Back to the poem. Not very good, perhaps, but to the point, says Bilbo. Um, not very good, perhaps, is where Bilbo makes it clear, where he first makes it clear that he wrote this poem, right? And of course, it is just uh, delightfully charming to look back in retrospect and remember the role that this poem played, right? Um, it's always fun to think and feel like, what would, what would Frodo have thought in that moment of his doubt and uncertainty, I mean, the Inn at Bree was a was a that was a ticklish point in Frodo's journey, right? Um, and he was certainly not feeling real good, right? That evening after having just like revealed the ring in the common room, and he's feeling like a fool, and now he's being accosted by this uh, sketchy-looking stranger and having to make this really important decision that might potentially lead to uh, uh, lead to um, um, uh, lead to all of their deaths, right? So this is a very difficult moment for Frodo. And just to think back in retrospect, if he had known that those verses that Gandalf was quoting and that Aragorn quoted to him um, were written by Bilbo, um, you know, I think that's... Uh, it's just, it's as I say, it's just delightful to think about what that, uh, uh, what that would have been. And yes, you're right, uh, Matt, that... The fact that the wide circulation of this poem, the fact that Aragorn has clearly embraced it, right, as a poem expressing his identity, right? I mean, his statement is a really interesting one, right? I am Aragorn, and those verses go with that name, right? One might assume, if we had, but before this scene, we had to guess just based on what he said there, based on what he said there and what we've learned since, right? Um, I would have expected. I would have expected to learn that that poem had been uttered by like Malbethesir or somebody like that, right? Like that it was some kind of ancient prophecy that has been handed down for generations uh, in, you know, the line of the Dunedain uh, or something like that, right? Um, but instead, we find, we find that Bilbo wrote it. And it's not sure, it's not clear exactly when. Bilbo wrote it, but it can't have been an enormous long time ago, right? Um, uh, you know, I wonder, did Bilbo perhaps even write it since he moved to Rivendell? I can't imagine that he knew Aragorn very well. Before, I mean, he visited Rivendell a couple times and so could conceivably have met him. And of course, um, uh, Kate, I share your frustration with not having gotten uh, a uh, 10-year-old Aragorn cameo in the Hobbit movie, um, they could conceivably have met as long ago as that. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, he said he wrote it a long time ago, Arahad, but again, yeah, I don't know exactly. That could mean 15 years, right? Um, I don't really know. But, um, 
Um, but yes, uh, uh, Fort Dauntless, exactly. Fort Dauntless says, I bet this is a bit of a mantra for Aragorn. It's an expression of his own hope, and maybe it keeps him going during difficult times in the wilderness. I, I bet. I bet it. I bet it did. I bet it would. Right. Um, so, yeah, he, he has clearly embraced it. Right. Um, attached it to his own name. Right. Those those verses go with that name, he says. Right. Um, uh, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. OK. So. um yeah, I mean, you're right, Mad Violinist. They did, uh, uh, he does follow up the lack of a Aragorn child cameo in the Hobbit movies by wrecking the timeline entirely and decreeing that Aragorn's already full grown. But anyway, I'm done talking about that. <laughs> anyway, um, what this, um, um, what this suggests to me, uh, the not very good, perhaps, right? Just that, that the immediate tag that reminds us or informs us, really, for the first time, that Bilbo is the author, inspires me to want to think about this whole thing from another point of view. Bilbo's point of view. What is Bilbo hearing? Well, two things I want to do. First, what is Bilbo thinking? Um, what is Bilbo thinking when he wrote the poem? Not when he's listening to Boromir and Aragorn, right? But when he wrote the poem, what does his poem mean to Bilbo, right? All that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not reached by the frost. From the ashes a fire shall be woken. A light from the shadows shall spring. Renewed shall be blade that was broken. The crownless again shall be king. The flow which we observed last time through, how the first quatrain is all in the present tense and the second quatrain all in the future tense, um, has uh, a much greater force when we think about this in its new context, right? Kit, you are absolutely right. His love for his friend is, I think, one of the primary things that we see being expressed. I would also add his... Bilbo seems clearly to have been very inspired by Aragorn's story, right? Um, having learned who Aragorn is, right? His imagination is obviously fired up, right? Fired up by um, this whole notion, right, of the lost king, you know, the, 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 the heir of the line of kings, long thought lost, right? And all that stuff, Um so he is clearly what sort of um imagining the fulfillment of that storyline right um but that shift from the present tense to the future tense is very powerful and again i keep coming back um to uh kit your point about bilbo's love for him Right. It is almost like it is almost like it is designed to inspire Aragorn. Right. Like Aragorn is not only the subject of the poem, but the primary intended audience of this poem. Right. All that is gold does not glitter. 
Not all those who wander are lost. Statements of fact. Present tense. Statements of fact. Right? The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not reached by the frost. Right? Think of the significance of the use of the present tense there. Right? Those are assertions of fact. The old that is strong does not wither. This is not... Like, if it were in the imperative, it would be weaker. Like, hey, you're old but strong, so don't wither. <laughs> right? You know, the, uh, be like a deep root uh, and, like, don't get reached by the frost. You, you see what I mean? Right? Like, it's it, it, it's not... He's not... Um, he's not encouraging his friend. He's He is... These are statements of fact. Right? He is reminding his friend of what is. Right? The context of his life, of who he is, of what he means, right? The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not reached by the frost. And then we shift to the future. From the ashes a fire shall be woken. A light from the shadow shall spring. Renewed shall be blade that was broken. The crownless again shall be king. The repetition of shall, 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 shall. These things shall happen. It's gonna, this is not a guess. This is not a conjecture. These things are going to occur, right? Um, from the ashes of fire shall be woken. Um, and the combination of those two things I find really, really moving, right? From these present tense statements of fact, not all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not reached by the frost, from the ashes of fire shall be woken. A light from the shadows shall spring. Um, yeah. Yeah, M- Mad Violinist, I can almost imagine a moment when Aragorn is doubting himself in Bilbo's presence. Or Bilbo just thinking that Aragorn might doubt himself. Right? Um, thinking way forward to Appendix A, we know that Aragorn goes through a, a long and tiring period of time, right? It's a long haul from when Aragorn is 20, right, until now. It's been many, many decades of long and often hopeless labor, right, in which, like, he, you know, I'm sure many times has been tempted to despair of results, um, waiting for a sign, to be given, and of course the sign is going to be, as Boromir's poem suggests, a sign of doom, right? Um, but um, anyway, I um, um, I think that I find it entirely charming to think about the poem uh, in this way. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good, good. Um, yeah, Tarlonio, you're right. Aragorn did always know things were going to get worse before they got better. Absolutely. Um, and he knows. Uh, again, Amdir is not where he lives, right? That's not who he is. Estel was his name as a child and for a reason, right? Because he doesn't know that they're going to win. And he certainly doesn't know that he's going to survive. Remember, we were just talking about this last week when we were talking about the sword that broke beneath Elendil when he fell, right? Aragorn knows that 
what he might be offering to Boromir, right, is to join together and the two of them die together like Gilgo and Elendil, right? But that is okay, right? He can accept that. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. Um, interesting, Mario. Yeah, now let's get back to that next point, because Mario is exactly right. Now, we not only have this as a window into Bilbo, like the, the, the insight that this is, or the information, rather, that this was Bilbo's composition, right? Gives us some insight into his relationship with Aragorn, um, and the fact that Aragorn has taken these verses to himself, not some old prophecy, not... Uh, you know, the words of his mother, but the w- poem written by this hobbit, um, whom in the scope of his own life, he's only uh, really known comparatively recently. Um, uh, you know, that that says a lot, right? But back to Marielle's point, look at the context in which Bilbo is stating this at the council, right? Why does he burst out saying this at this time, Right? if such a thing could indeed return out of the shadows of the past. And then Bilbo stands up and recites the poem. Um, if that was worth a journey of 110 days to hear, you had best listen to it. He, uh, uh, he states it as evidence, as Mariel says, and so that would suggest uh, she proposes that he believes that his, you know, he was inspired in some way, inspired or enchanted when he, when he wrote that. Um, I, um, oh, and yeah, the bit, someone was talking about that before, about how um, Bilbo still refers to him as the Dunedain, right? And remember his emphasis, the Dunedain, not just a Dunedain, right? He is the Dunedain, right? The man of the West. Um, The fact that he refers to him that way, I think, is, again, shows that he, he, in his own form of address, is continuing to draw... um, attention to this, right? Um, uh, yeah, it is like a title, Tess. Uh, uh, and I would say even more, I would say, Tessa, that um, it's almost like, um, it's not quite like, but it's almost like how you would, ref- like uh, like in, in Shakespeare, right? How you refer to the King of Norway as Norway, right? Uh, or the King of Denmark as Denmark. Um, uh it, 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 it's almost like that, right? To call him the Dunedain, right? You know, he is the man of the West. He is, uh, uh, he is, uh, because again, he's the crownless who again shall be king. Um, uh, and he does say that Aragorn is often called that in Rivendell, Simon. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and, and which just suggests to me, Bilbo isn't alone, uh, in thinking about Aragorn in this way. Um, um, but, um, anyway, uh, yeah, Mike says, this thing I made up is all the evidence you need, right? Yeah, um, well, that's an interesting point, right? Um, first, notice that he seems to, um, uh, notice that he seems to, uh, yeah, first of all, Simon, it is true. We only have Bilbo's word for it, that he's often called that. <laughs> Rivendell, right? For all we know, he's often called that in Rivendell by Bilbo, right? Probably other people actually call him that too. I, I don't think Bilbo's lying or exaggerating, but um, uh, anyway, um, 
yes, Matt, exactly. It is the way you address the head of a clan. Yes, yes. Um, you're right, Trifle. Good. Thank you for the reminder. Glor- Glorfinn, when he speaks to uh, Aragorn uh, uh, in, in Elvish, right, he does uh, refer to him as Dunedon there, too, as well. Good, good. Um, uh, anyway, okay. So, why does Bilbo... We talked about what is Bilbo thinking and feeling when he wrote the poem, right? What is Bilbo thinking and feeling when he recites the poem, right? And the clearest and first, that okay, the several cues that we get for that is the verb burst, right? He burst out, um, uh, and then of course the sentence. That, you know, so we got his stirring impatiently. Evidently, he was annoyed on his friend's behalf. The narrator informs us. So we we we're told that he's annoyed. Right. And then he bursts out with the poem. And then he says, not very good, perhaps, but to the point, if you need more beyond the word of Elrond. Right. And that I take to be um, sort of um, uh, self-deprecating. Right. Uh, Marielle, I think in exactly um, uh, in exactly the way that he um, is. Exactly the way that you were talking about, right? How, as if he is putting forward his own composition as evidence, like, clearly, like, I wrote this poem, so that makes these things true, because I wrote a poem about it, right? Which seems an interesting and sort of strange thing to say, but he clearly is, um, uh, I think, being a little bit self-deprecating there, right? Um, if you need more beyond the word of Elrond, right? But I think it's not just self-deprecation, it's insult as well. Right. Um, Like, look, dude, Elrond has already told you what's what. Right. So, like, why are we even talking about this? But if you want more, I got a poem I can recite for you. Right. And if you, you know, and if you don't listen to that, I got more I can recite to you. Right. Don't get me started. Um, um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, uh, uh, Arden Crayon says that Bilbo is Aragorn's hype man. Exactly, exactly. Um, if that was worth a journey of 110 days to hear, you had best listen to it. Now, um, Flamifer, I, uh, I like the argument that you uh, have made a couple times on the discussion board about the, the sort of correspondences uh, between the, the, this poem and Boromir's poem, right? Um, I think I agree, Flamifer, with your general premise, uh, but I'm not, I don't think I agree point by point uh, going through, um, but I think I agree with your general premise, um, uh, which was that we, you know, Boromir comes in with a riddle poem, and it seems a little conspicuous, and I can agree with Flamifer on this, certainly, that Bilbo, Bilbo of all people, right, is like, oh, you've got a riddle poem? Well, I got a riddle poem for you, bud, right? Almost as if he's, like, beginning another riddle game with Boromir. Um, and, of course, the joke there is that the answer to both riddles is the same, right? The answer to both riddles is Aragorn, right? Aragorn, son of Arathorn, is the answer to Bilbo's riddle explicitly, right? Uh, uh, I mean, that is, Aragorn says that in the Inn at Bree. Um, and, uh, and one of the implications, I think, in Bilbo's mind is that, like, okay, like, you're questioning the interpretation of your riddle, 
whose answer is Aragorn, right? <laughs> Let me give you another one. Whose answer is Aragorn? And we'll try to triangulate from there, buddy. Right? Um, <laughs> yeah, but what's in Bilbo's pocket now, says Angris. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, anyway, so uh, I, I totally agree that that is not only sort of conspicuous, but rather delightful, right? That Bilbo responds with another kind of riddle poem. Um, especially again, in the, um, um, uh, in the context, right? You know, he's, he's giving a, a, a poem with an answer in a sense, right? With an answer, it has an answer much more like the kinds of answers, uh, that Gollum and Bilbo's riddles had, uh, back in the Hobbit, right? Um, whereas, uh, Boromir's, riddle um is uh not quite that sort of thing in the same way right um but there is also a sense i think um yeah so uh good flamifer uh flamifer says uh boromir has to be wondering if this poem is is counsel right there shall be counsels taken is this is this counsel um if this poem is prophecy then you know is it divine or what yeah is this poem just the mundane product of bilbo how does this connect with his dream poem yes um i'd be careful i'd be careful not to push too much on divine i'm not saying i disagree with that uh i think it is but I wouldn't push too hard on that. Like, I don't see Boromir doubling down on that, right? Boromir clearly believes that it was a message, right? He clearly believes that it was a prophetic message. But the going into the north to seek the answer, you know, to, uh, um, uh, to seek the meaning of a riddle, as he says. Um, I mean, again, notice the way that he just said it. He's not saying that with reverence or awe, right? Like, you know, there is... At no point is Boromir saying anything which has the tone or the taste of, like, divine words were bestowed upon us in Gondor, and it is my sacred quest to discover what the message of the Lord is to us. Like, that's not how Boromir talks about this, right? If anything, he was just speaking almost slightingly of it, right? I was not sent to beg any boon, but to seek only the meaning of a riddle, right? Um, And he seems to be moving in the opposite direction, of calling it, treating it as if it were divine, right? Because I think he can see that the answer to that riddle seems likely to be Aragorn, and he's uh, reserving his judgment about whether he agrees with that. It's certainly clear to him that the room sees it that way, right? That the room reads uh, his riddle as meaning Aragorn, right? And he doesn't necessarily go along. Um... I'm using room figuratively, Simon, whether they be inside or out. Uh, yes. Uh, the group of people. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so Marielle says, do I think Frodo's interpretation is correct? Is Bilbo so salty about Boromir doubting his friend or Boromir doubting the prophetic nature of the dream poem? Um, I think... Right, so the evidently he was annoyed on his friend's behalf is an interpretation, right? That's Frodo's interpretation of what Bilbo is is thinking, right? I think it's quite likely to be both, Angris. That seems to me quite possible. Um, 
uh, his word, judging by his words, not the narrator's words, but by Bilbo's own words, right? Um, to the point, but to the point, right? Um, he seems to be um, impatient with Boromir's resistance to the point, right? To the interpretation. Like, you've been sent to Aragorn. Elrond just revealed who Aragorn is. You've been told, you you were told to seek the sword that was broken. You have uh, found the sword that was broken. Elrond has just revealed that that's Elendil's sword and that this is the heir of Elendil. The point of your message is as plain as the nose on my face, Boromir, right? If you, you talk about, you know, the meaning of a riddle. You talk about hard words, right? How hard is it now? Seriously, man, right? Um, Is he, you know, so again, but to the point, uh, uh, potentially to me, seems to sort of point in that direction. If you need more beyond the word of Elrond, which you shouldn't, right? Um, If that was worth a journey of 110 days to hear, you had best listen to it. Um, The assertion by Bilbo that... Listening to him, Bilbo, recite that poem is the whole reason of his journey is sort of delightful. And Flamifer, this is uh, one of the ways uh, in which I most like the, uh, again, that, that you're, what you're saying about the connection between the two, responding to one riddle with another, right? Um, and that is uh, that he, um, uh He's saying to Boromir, this is the answer to your riddle, right? This is the answer to, like, the, the, the solution to my riddle poem is the answer to your riddle. It's the whole point of your journey, right? You've been bragging up and down about how long you traveled in order to get here. Didn't see anybody else doing that. You know, Glowin came quite a, quite, a, quite a ways as well. But whatever, you went your famous journey of 110 days to hear me recite that poem at you, you pay attention to it, right? Um, the future tense, the present tense, the future tense. This is who Aragorn is. This is who Aragorn is going to be. From the ashes of fire shall be woken. A light from the shadow shall spring. Renewed shall be blade that was broken. The crownless again shall be king. And it's funny because Bilbo could push this on Boromir in an entirely pos- positive way. We talked about hope. Right. And the ways in which this poem seems to be connected with hope, um, almost as if to boost up uh, Aragorn's own hope. Right. His own concerns. Um, uh, you could say the same thing to Boromir. Right. If he were saying this in a completely gentle spirit. Right. It could be the same message to Boromir. Hey, things looking bad in Minas Tirith these days, Boromir. Don't worry. Don't worry. Right. From the ashes a fire shall be woken, a light from the shadows shall spring. How meaningful is that line going to sound in Minas Tirith, right? Renewed shall be blade that was broken, the crownless again shall be king. Hey, you know that glory of Gondor that you were a little miffed about Elrond saying was dropping off lately, right? What do you think about the restoration of things? Hey, Boromir, would you have the House of Elendil return to Gondor? Would you have Gondor return to its glory? Would you have the crownless again being king? Crownless meaning not only Aragorn personally, but like Gondor, right? Gondor has been, I know, they're not really crownless. They're 
They have an extra crown and an insufficient number of heads to put it on, but still, right? Um, uh, yeah. Again, this could be an entirely positive, totally benevolently encouraging message uh, to Boromir. Um, but the snark that's pretty clear in Bilbo's words there, um, you had best listen to it, uh, do seem to, and not to mention his snort, right, do really seem to uh, uh, indicate that he is uh, annoyed. Um yeah. Yeah. Do you want all that, Boromir? Well, then, have I got a king for you? Absolutely. Um, yeah, and JJ, he is absolutely cranky that this young whippersnapper isn't listening to his elders, right? Um, now, I don't think that Bilbo is necessarily being fair to Boromir here. As we said from the beginning, there's more to it than that, right? It's not just that he's calling Elrond into question, though, Mariel, I agree with your point. This might seem, you know, absurd to Bilbo, the idea of questioning something that Elrond has said. Um, but it isn't absurd. As Mariel pointed out, Saruman also was among the wise, right? Um, so, look, <laughs> you know, um, being careful, not a bad idea, right? Um, uh, but there's another way in which um, there's another way in which I, I'm not sure that Bilbo is understanding things properly, is being quite fair to Boromir. Um, I'm not sure that Boromir is questioning the word of Elrond. Um, Bilbo takes him that way, and maybe he is, right? Um, but when... I assume that Bilbo is referring back to Boromir's words, if such a thing could indeed return out of the shadows of the past. The if seems to be the thing that really sticks in Bilbo's craw, right? What do you mean, if? Right? Didn't Elrond tell you that that's who this is, right? I mean, but but you need more proof? Okay, right? You know, <laughs> evil Dr. Cannon, as you said, I got a bag of poetry with your name on it, right? Um, yeah. Um, sure. Uh, but I'm not positive that that's what Boromir means, or at least that's the only thing. Notice he said, the sword of Elendil would be a help beyond our hope if such a thing could indeed return out of the shadows of the past. What he's questioning is not, if that's really the sword of Elendil after all. I don't think that's a fair paraphrase of what he just said. He's not questioning whether or not it truly is the sword of Elendil. What he's questioning is whether or not it can truly return out of the shadows of the past. Um, we are hard-pressed, and the Sword of Elendil would be a help beyond our hope. And we talked about the significance of that. This is not um, necessarily... Uh, um, uh, necessarily... It's like sarcastic or something on his part, right? That, like, he really means that. Um but just because you have said or even proven that that thing, that sword sitting there on the table right there is indeed the sword of Elendil, and that you standing right there, the scruffy looking guy, are indeed the heir of Elendil, uh, you know, the heir of Elendil, the heir of Isildur. Um, okay, granting that, 
that doesn't prove that these things can come back, that we can have a modern-day revival of the heroism of Elendil, right? Um, so you've got the broken shards of Elendil's sword. Does that mean, like, Elendil can come back? Are you going to be Elendil, exactly? Um, again, the mere... Even accepting these... Um, uh, even accepting these statements... He doesn't have to question anything that Elrond has said in order to question, can we do it all again, right? Is that really going to happen? Is that what it's going to be like? Um, Can indeed such a thing return out of the shadows of the past? Um, But Bilbo clearly thinks he's mostly dissing Aragorn and disregarding Elrond. Are you ready? Next slide! I made that up myself, he whispered to Frodo, for the Dunedain, a long time ago, when he first told me about himself. I almost wish that my adventures were not over, and that I could go with him when his day comes. And that really reinforces my idea that it's not only an expression of love and an expression of hope, but also simply Bilbo being swept away by this story, right? Um, that he loves this story. This story that Aragorn has told him, and he wishes that he could go with him when his dig. He would love to see the fulfillment of this story. He would love to see how this turns out. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good. Um, yeah, Arahat, I think that's a really interesting point. Says, I think I detect some deep assumptions underlying all of this interaction, he says, that allies against the enemy do not lie to one another. They may argue, they may be misguided, they may make mistakes, but no one assumes deceit. I feel like there is an element of this in Bilbo's mindset. Um, uh, you know, I say this, therefore you should, be, uh, you should believe that I believe it. Yeah, exactly. Arahat, that's a really important thing to remind folks. The extent to which you might be willing to entertain the interpretive option that the person who is speaking to you might be lying, that's a thing that has changed a lot over the years, right? Um, Fairly radically? I mean, like, even a hundred years ago, um, to accuse somebody of lying, to question whether or not somebody was telling you the truth when they told you something, right, was a really, really big deal. 500 years ago, it was an even bigger deal, right? You could, you would be killed. Um, That is, unless you were a better swordsman than the person that you said that about, right? Uh, If you said something like that. Um, uh, But um, uh, anyway, um, I... I, I, I think that that is, that seems to me very right, Arahad, that, I mean, think about how outraged Aemir is um, when there seems to be even the question of whether or not what he's speaking is the truth, right? Um, uh, think about Faramir's, you know, I would not snare even an orc with a falsehood, right? Um Exactly, Argent. It's how Saruman got away with so much for so long. People were resistant to accepting that he was lying, even suspecting that he was lying. When it turns out that someone has been, you know, playing you the whole time, it's like an earth-shattering, 
fabric of the universe questioning kind of thing. It's a huge deal that Saruman did that. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and yes, Trifle points out that Sa- Sauron got the epithet the Deceiver for a reason. Um, it's a it's it's a it's huge insult. So yeah, um, I think that in the modern world we do that kind of thing all the time. I mean, like whenever you're talking to somebody that you don't trust really well, you know, the question of whether or not they're lying to you is always something that's kind of on the table, right? But that is not normal. Um, historically speaking, you know, that's not, I mean, I'm not saying that people didn't use to lie ever. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel anymore to us like a big deal to just assume that someone is lying. Um, yes, I definitely agree with you, Arahad, that it would have been a big deal to assume that, uh, in this, uh, world. And indeed, Bilbo's own statement that if you need more than the word of Elrond is, I think, meant to be a rebuke. Right? Not because he thinks that Boromir is questioning, but he's basically saying what you're doing it's it's essential it's as if you were questioning, you know, the validity of what Elrond told you. Right. Which Boromir, I think we can both agree, would be absurd, right? And because we both accept the the absurdity of that thing, I'm throwing that out there, right, to draw your attention to it. Um absolutely, JJ, you needed to have reason to think someone was lying. You can't just assume that about... You didn't, generally, just assume that about people. Um, absolutely. Um, yes, good. Um, okay. Um, I made that up myself. Back to the observations that several of you were making about... Um, um, uh, I'm sorry, the claims that you guys, the, the things you're discussing about Bilbo's inspiration or his perception of his inspiration, he certainly speaks it, um, uh, you know, he, he's certainly using humility here, right? I made that up myself. Made that up is an interesting phrase here, right? He doesn't say something more grandiose. He doesn't say something like, I was moved to write that for the Dunedain, right? For the Dunedain, right? He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't say that, uh, uh, exactly. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I made that up myself for the Dunedain. And I think by Kit coming back to your point about his love, uh, for Aragorn and the points I was making about the way in which I think that he meant it as an encouragement, to Aragorn, more than anything, is inspired by that phrase, for the Nudadon, right? It's not, not, it's not just about him, right? It was for him, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And I do wonder what he meant by a long time ago. Again, he's been visiting Rivendell since Aragorn was ten, so it's, um, uh, it's very possible that he met Aragorn a long, long time ago. Um, but we don't have any, I don't think we have any evidence, uh, to judge that by. Um, and, uh, I think that he could still say, even if he wrote it 15 years ago, I think that he could still potentially, uh, call it a long time ago. Um, yeah. 
So for Thoughtless One Wonders Where Bilbo Acquired His Certainty While Making Up This Poem, Those Serial Shells Sound Confident. Yeah, um, I think that they are the expression of confidence, right? That they are an expression of, um, well, for Thoughtless, going back to your point, right? They are designed to be an expression, well, really both of Amdir and Estelle, right? Um, but yeah. Yeah. Um, Simon asks, did Bilbo ever go to Rivendell after returning to the Shire? Um, other than after the party. I, so it, I don't recall any explicit references that would prove that. Um, but we do, we are told that he quote visits the elves. Right. Um, and I don't, um, um, I don't see any reason to think that that means he didn't come back to Rivendell. I I mean, it seems to me likely that he did. Not guaranteed. It's possible that he just knew where to find people like Gildor and Glorian hanging out in Woodhall and went to visit them there, right? But I think it's also possible that he... uh, Certainly possible that he went to to Rivendell. Um, Tessa says he wanted to see mountains again. If he was visiting Rivendell, he would have seen mountains recently. Well, perhaps, but again, we don't even know if he did. That doesn't mean he's done so recently, right? Um, it could have been 30 years. It could have been 40 years since he's gone back, right? Um, uh, it's been a long time. Um, there's 70 years between his return in The Hobbit and his departure in The Fellowship of the Rings. So, um, those two things I don't think have to be exclusive, but that's a good, that's a really good point. Um, but, um, uh, anyway, okay. Um, let's, uh, let's keep going. So, by the way, my, uh, highly indirect. The reason that I suspect he might have gone back to Rivendell, he seems to have gotten his hands on a bunch of elvish lore, right? Now, it's possible that those were delivered to him, right? It's it's possible that somebody like Gildor has been delivering him care packages in the Shire, right? Um, uh, but, like, he translated the Gilgalad poem, which he taught to young Sam, right? Um... And he got that somewhere, right? Um, Aragorn never knew that Bilbo translated it. Aragorn recognizes the poem, right? Clearly knows it in Elvish and is surprised to learn that Bilbo translated it and obviously translated it long before he left for the Shire um, or left the Shire for Rivendell. Uh, so it's, I get, no, it's possible that somebody delivered him books, right? Um, but, uh, but it also seems like, or that, you know, maybe you know, Gildor knows it by heart and, and taught it to him, right? It's possible. It's possible. Um, I remember at uh, Magnolia Moot last year, Tony uh, Mead and I were having a conversation in which we sort of came up with a theory that Bilbo's career between um, uh, between the end of The Hobbit and uh, the beginning of The Fellowship of the Ring seems to be sort of divided into two periods, right? The time in which he was primarily like doing, sneaking off for further adventures, right? Going off to visit elves and things like that. Um, and then the time when he stopped, when he stayed and began to be a teacher, 
right, settled down with his nephew, um, began to teach the younger generation, taught Sam his letters and all that kind of thing, right? There seems to be sort of at least sort of two stages of Bilbo's career there in the Shire. Uh, one in which he seems to just be kind of gathering lore, potentially, and the other in which he seemed to be teaching it and transmitting it. Um, uh, and yeah, Fort Dauntless, exactly. You have to think about where Bilbo learned Quenya to translate it from in the first place, right? Uh, he says, I have a hard time picturing language lessons in the knoll above Woodall. Yeah, not impossible, but yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so um, anyway, I think it's... Uh, uh, imagining, so kind of thinking about that conversation Tony and I had in those two phases, if that were true, that would explain both of the things, right? Um, even, um, you know, even the point that you were making, Tessa, um, could fit, right? If he's been settled down for several decades uh, in the Shire, and it's been a while since he's been out adventuring, and he says, I want to see mountains again before I die, right? Would still, would still work. Um, uh, yeah, it's been a long time, right? I've 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 not been out on the road for a long time, uh, and uh, and I wish I could. And we know for a fact he must have visited Rivendell at least once, right? Because we know uh, that. Well, that's later on. Anyway, um, so um, yeah, exactly. That's why we have to do so many trips to that library in Lotro, Sam. Exactly. Uh, it's it's the center of all uh, of all lore. Um, Okay, Um, and then I could go with him when his day comes. What a statement that is. I almost wish that my adventures were not over and that I could go with him when his day comes. What do you think of when you read that line? Do you think of the field of Cormelon? Do you think of the wedding with Arwen? Right? I think I always thought of those. I mean, at least after my first reading, I always thought of those, right? Um, But right now, what does it mean? What does Aragorn's day coming mean? Yeah, Arahad, it's more... um, It's a little bit more sad. Certainly more ominous. I think, potentially, Lincoln, when he goes on his Elendil journey, right, to end up dead, very likely. Um, uh, His day is the day that he was just referring to, Aragorn was just referring to. You know, doom and great deeds are at hand, right? That's Aragorn's day, right? The day of doom is Aragorn's day. Um, and uh, and I agree, Simon, the fact that he says, I wish that I could go with him rather than I wish that I could be there, suggests that it's not an event he's thinking about witnessing. It's a trial that he wishes he could support his friend in, right? I wish that my adventures were not over and that I could go with him when his day comes. His day. So I could go with him when the day. So the day, in Bilbo's mind, is the day that he's going to set forth. When he sets out on his last journey, right, his last great journey, when he sets out to do the thing, right, to go to Minas Tirith, to go strike the blow against the shadow, right, um, when the doom and great deeds arrive, that's when Bilbo wants to be able, wishes that he could go with him, 
right? And that I think is um, uh, really gives another fascinating uh, um, insight into his relationship uh, with Aragorn, right? How much he cares for Aragorn. I think it's it's uh, the glimpses into that are really really fun. Um, and I think it's one of the reasons why I was really wanting a cameo too. I know they'd mucked around with the time frame and whatever they can do that. It's, they're right. But, um, um, but yeah, the connection between Bilbo and Aragorn, um, he, ha- he feels a very special relationship with Aragorn. And I, I, uh, I love the glimpses that we get into that. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, Marielle says Bilbo's experience of adventures ends with a tent containing a deathbed. Yeah, he's done the king returning thing before. He has once before gone with a long lost king returning to his heritage, right? Bilbo's done that before. And it ended with the king dying and sacrificing his life in battle, uh, you know, at the gates of his kingdom, right? That he came back to restore uh, and to reclaim. So, yeah, yeah, that's um, Bilbo's own experience. His own journey might have been a there and back again journey, but it wasn't for the king in question, right? So, yeah, Marielle, that is an excellent reminder. Um, <laughs> let's, let's do it right this time, says Angrist. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> whereas WKU fan says we've had one king returning yes but what about second king returning <laughs> oh very good very good um, yeah also I'm sure JJ you're right that he would probably uh, vote to skip the going mad and threatening to throw him off the wall portion of the adventure he could probably do without that a second time <laughs> absolutely Absolutely. Um, okay. Aragorn smiled at him. Then he turned to Boromir again. Again, the smile, too. Right? You gotta love the smile. Um, Aragorn turns and shares the moment with Bilbo. He returns Bilbo's affection. He sees the affection. Both... I like to think that this is Aragorn reflecting both with affection upon um, Bilbo's sticking up for him. Right? And also for, uh, I mean, just like the fact of the old hobbit telling Boromir off, right, under these circumstances, and again, knowing the place of affection that that comes from. But in addition, I like to think of that smile that Aragorn gives to, uh, uh, to, to Bilbo here as connect, you know, going back to the poem itself and the giving of the poem itself and what that poem means and has meant to Aragorn, right? Um, like he enjoys the... Um, like he enjoys the reminder, right, of not just of the poem itself associated with his name, um, but of the fact that Bilbo made it for him, right? Yeah, there is a lot behind that smile, Zeph, and I think that's very fair to say. I'd also point out, how many times does Aragorn smile? Uh, He's fairly grim most of the time. I mean, we've seen, we were talking, we were giving Aragorn a hard time for the fact that he doesn't do hobbitry very well, right? When he tries to give it back to Bilbo uh, in the Hall of Fire, it sounds really awkward, right? I mean, he's like, he needs to brush up on his hobbitry, right? He doesn't, he doesn't smile very often, 
right? Um, so just the phrase Aragorn smiled is kind of a big deal, like full stop, right? Uh, even without thinking about uh, the exact context. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, Simon, but you're right. Elrond was awesome at hobbitry. Uh, Aragorn, Aragorn, not so much. Um, anyway, Aragorn smiled at him. Then he turned to Boromir again. For my part, I forgive your doubt, he said. Little do I resemble the figures of Elendil and Isildur as they stand carven in their majesty in the halls of Denethor. I am but the heir of Isildur, not Isildur himself. I have had a hard life and a long, and the leagues that lie between here and Gondor are a small part in the count of my journeys. I have crossed many mountains and many rivers, and trodden many plains, even into the far countries of Rhun and Harad, where the stars are strange. But my home, such as I have, is in the north, for here the heirs of Alando have ever dwelt in long line unbroken from father unto son for many generations. Our days have darkened, and we have dwindled, but ever the sword has passed to a new keeper. And, and this I will say to you, Boromir, ere I end. Lonely men are we, rangers of the wild, hunters, but hunters ever of the servants of the enemy, for they are found in many places, not in Mordor only." Um, okay. Um, yeah, Rune and Harid, where the stars are strange, is a really good line, Arahad, isn't that? Totally agree with you. Um, awesome. Pontine says, Aragorn smiled three times. When were the other two, Pontine? When were the other two times Aragorn smiled? Hang on, wait, wait, wait. No, don't tell me. I'm keen to guess. Um, hang on. When else does Aragorn smile? Gosh, that's a poser. Let's see. Hang on. Um... Does he smile in the troll with the trolls? He was joking with them, but I'm not sure. Does he? S- not much use, is it, Sam? He doesn't smile in Bree, does he? Okay, no, it's the, both later. In the houses of healing, right? Of course, he smiles at Mary, right? Uh, in his later awkward attempted hobbitry, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, and uh, with the Riders of Rohan. Okay. Okay. Um, yes. Yes. Um, yeah. JJ, I've always understood that like Rune is below the equator. Um is why the stars are strange there. Um, he smiles when he talks about his rascally look. Right, right. I thought in somewhere in there he was smile. He was smiling. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, about looking foul and, fe- and feeling fair. Yes, yes. He does see the humor there. Um, um, well, Tessa, parts of Rune have to be below the equator because, look, Rune just means east, right? So, so, I mean, like everything north and south. So you go due east from, uh, the Lonely Mountain and where are you? Rune, right? Go, you know, due east from Harad and where are you? Rune, right? I mean, it's, Rune is, is out there, right? So, um, 
Um, it's also possible that he's only like Rune and Harad, where the, comma where the stars are strange. Right? It might be only Harad that he's referring to, where the stars are strange. Um, but um, uh, anyway, yeah, the strange stars make me think of unknown constellations too. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, anyway, no, it's uh, it's uh, I can say Rune is kind of vague. Um, but, um, but yes, and Harag means South. It also is really vague, uh, in the same, in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Anyway, sorry. Uh, Rune and Harag. So this, the big question, we're not going to finish talking about this tonight because we're almost out of time, especially with all my delightful computer crashings and whatnot. Um, but, um, the big question that we'll come back to next time is, What's he doing? What's he doing? Like, what, what, why is he saying all this? Why is he, as Flamifer said on the discussion boards, why is he presenting his CV here, right? Is he trying to prove himself to Boromir? Now, Boromir, he's turning to Boromir. Boromir is the target audience of this speech, right? This is something he is communicating to Boromir. So the question is, what and why? Is he communicating to Boromir? Um, well, let's start at the beginning there. For my part, I forgive your doubt. Forgive is an interesting word, right? Um, it suggests that it is something that needs forgiving, right? Um, if he is questioning that Aragorn is who he says he is, that would be an insult and would need forgiving, right? Because, again, that would be saying that he's lying. Right. Um, but he begins by saying, like, I'm not even going to make you take it back. I'm not going to. I'm just like, I forgive your doubt. If you're doubting me, uh, if you if you're looking at me and saying, hmm, Elendil, this guy, Elendil, this guy is like, whatever. I get it, man. Right. Little do I resemble the figures of Elendil and Isildur as they stand carven in their majesty in the halls of Denethor. Yeah. Elendil, Isildur, me. Right. Not exactly Mount Rushmore. Right. I get it. I get it, right? Um, yeah, but the awesome thing is the uh, the subtext of that, which I don't even know if it clicks, right? Yes, exactly. Making it clear that he has seen the halls of Denethor, right? He just drops that, and it's the first thing, he, in the first sentence he says. He makes it obvious. Yeah, Boromir, I've been there. I've been to the throne room in Minas Tirith. I know just what the halls of Denethor look like. Right? It's the very first, like, credential. that he, if, if, if what he's doing here is presenting his credentials to Boromir, the first thing that he does is um, uh, say that, yeah, Matt, that's a really good parallel. Um, Matt is saying, in some ways... Uh, it's parallel to the moment when Beowulf explains why he lost the the swimming contest, right? Um, remember when Unferth says that uh, uh, you know Beowulf can't be all that because he lost the swimming contest, and and Beowulf is like, "Yep, totally lost that swimming contest." Let me tell you the whole story, right? He tells the story about why he ended up losing because he was doing this much greater, more amazing thing. Um, but yet there are so many subtexts to the statement, which I, I can almost imagine Boromir doing a double take 
right? Like he first, he would be responding to the primary sense of the sentence, right? Man, yeah, you're right. You really don't look much like Elendil and Denethor as they stand carven in majesty in the halls of... Wait a second, <laughs> right? Um, absolutely, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, JJ, I agree. One of the one of the um, um, one of the things that is that it implies, right, is I am not a complete stranger to your people and their plight. You're coming here talking to me about Minas Tirith and the danger that it's. I know. I know. I know Minas Tirith. I've been there. Um, uh, not to mention, he is already implying gently what he is going to state more explicitly very soon, right? The leagues that lie between here and Gondor are a small part in the count of my journeys, right? Yeah. You came from Gondor all the way here. I've been from here all the way to Gondor obviously, and back, and much more beyond, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I am but the heir of, it, of Isildur, not Isildur himself. And again, there Aragorn seems to be responding directly to what Boromir was saying before uh, Bilbo's interruption. Right, if such a thing could indeed return from the shadows of the past. Not if y'all are telling me the truth or not, but... Okay, so this is historically interesting, but what does this mean now, right? Can the Sword of Elendil actually return to us? You know, is the heir of Elendil, I mean, is that going to be like a hero coming, stepping out of the old stories? Is this, can the glory of Gondor really just be restored like that? And... Aragorn responds to that directly. I am but the heir of Isildur, not Isildur himself. I have had a hard life and a long, and the count and the leagues that lie between here and Gondor are a small part in the count of my journeys. I have crossed many mountains and many rivers, and trodden many plains, even into the far countries of Rhun and Harad, where the stars are strange. Why is he, why is he talking about that? Why is he talking about his journeys? I don't think this is just one-upsmanship. Exactly. Um, yeah, Arden Cran, Gandalf is going to, he has, back in chapter two, called Aragorn the greatest traveler in Middle-earth. Um, he has logged more miles than anybody else. That, at least, so Gandalf claims. Um, so, okay, so why is he doing this? He's pointing out Boromir's relative parochialism, right? Yes, I speak from experience both of the North and the South, Boromir. I've been not only to Gondor, but beyond Gondor, to Harad, and to Rune and Harad. Um, uh, good, Marielle, pointing out rivers and mountains aren't nothing in a pre-industrial world, so it also would sort of speak metaphorically, Right? Um, I mean, both literally, I've kind of accomplished quite a bit. And remember, Boromir had an issue with one of the rivers, right? He lost his horse at Tharbat at the crossing of the Grey Flood. So, yeah, crossing rivers, non-trivial. Boromir knows, right? Um, so, uh, um, anyway, so yeah, so he, he, 
can, you can sort of extend that metaphorically, Mariel, right? To say like, I've done a lot of things, right? I've, I've, I've overcome many obstacles. I've, I've, I've done a lot of stuff. I agree. It would have that sense, um, to prove that he's, uh, uh, that he hasn't been sitting on his laurels. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, good. Um, Good. Fourth Dauntless says Aragorn's face is notably weathered and weary. His journeys are a part of why he doesn't look like uh, Isildur. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, if I don't look like much, there's a reason I don't look like much, right? Uh, I, uh, uh, I've i had a hard life and a long. Um, if I'm scruffy looking, I've got good reasons for it. Um, yes. I will not make a comment on my friend Boromir's youth and inexperience. Exactly, Galandar. Yeah. Um, I look travel-worn, Boromir, because I am travel-worn. Yes, yes. Um, Yeah, good, good. Um, Good, and Brandon points out that if the Grey Wanderer is telling you that a dude is well-traveled, that's a pretty good credential. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, Um... Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Chris is suggesting that he could paraphrase this by saying, I may not look like much, but I've got it where it counts. Possibly. Possibly. Um, but yes, Arahad, back to the Gondor political relevance, right? The fact that the only, he's only, he only, he says I've been lots of places, right? And I've traveled many times the leagues between here and Gondor. But there are only two places that he names by name, and there's a and there's a third that he points to indirectly, and those are Rune, Harad, and Gondor, right? That is the enemies of Gondor, those lands that beset Gondor and from which their peril is now coming, and of course, Gondor itself, and indeed the heart of Minas Tirith. Um, uh, you know, I'm not sure everybody who lives in Minas Tirith has been in the halls of Denethor. Um, that's not necessarily public access, you know. So De- so in saying, in showing that he has been in the halls of Denethor, he's not only saying, yeah, I've been to Gondor, right? Um, I can show you my passport. I got that stamp, right? Um, but he is also, it's, it's a bit of a teaser, Right. In what circumstances were you not only in Gondor, but in the halls of Denethor? Not just the halls of the king, but the halls of Denethor. Um, yeah, he signed up for the tour, <laughs> says JJ. Maybe they run tours, you know, maybe he got uh, a tour, you know, maybe there was like one of the guards of the Citadel who showed him around, you know, like the, uh, uh, you know, like the yeoman at the, at the Tower of London. It's possible, um, but um, yeah, it's possible. But um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, Boromir's got to be wondering, like, did I how I met this guy before? Like, have I seen him before? Should I remember this guy? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> right. All right, Galandar had said, don't worry, I've been spying on your people and plotting my return for years. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that would not be perhaps the most assuring note 
to try to inspire. But but yeah, so I think one thing that I that I do think again, if we want to say what message emerges from this paragraph, like what is the point? What, what is the message he's delivering to Boromir? One of them would be, I understand, I get it, right? Um, Boromir very likely feels. Um, uh, Boromir very likely feels that when he comes here, and remember like his whole speech, you know, verily from the land of Gondor, I am come. Uh, remember when he said things like, you know, few, I guess, know of our deeds or guess their peril if we should fall at last. Um, he expects people not to get it, right? Just as we see him not getting what's going on elsewhere. But he expects people not to get it, right? You guys all take Gondor for granted. You don't know what's going on in Gondor. You don't know what it's like in Gondor. You don't know what would have happened had we not been resisting all this time because you guys have been sheltered behind the bulwark of the West, right? Um, And here is Aragorn saying, I know, I get it, right? Um, In fact, gently, I probably understand better than you do, right? Have, have you been to Harad and Rune, Boromir, right? You think you understand the political situation of Gondor. I might know it better, right? I understand Gondor. Um, we have a connection here, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there is a bit of an echo of the off-disguised Odysseus wandering about the world, uh, Matt. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, interesting. Yeah, JJ says, in a way, it reminds me of when Aslan weeps with Diggory and the magician's nephew. Yeah, yeah, it is a little bit like that. Um, we know, right? We have experienced suffering. We have experienced loss. Um Yes, and for Thoughtless, you're absolutely right. Boromir is clearly wondering whether Aragorn is going to live up to his sword, right? And he is presenting credentials of hardiness. So one answer already to the bigger question, why is Aragorn doing this, would be to me, not to brag, not to... This is not like a testosterone response, right? Oh, you're questioning me? Well, let me tell you, Sonny, right? I don't hear that in Aragorn's response, right? Thinking back, Mariel, to the point that we began with tonight, I, you know, when he says, for my part, I forgive your doubt, right? I think he understands Boromir's resistance. I think that he even, in a sense, approves of Boromir's resistance, right? And so his presenting of his CV here um, is, I think... Um, an acknowledgement of the reasonableness of Boromir's doubts, right? I get that you have doubts, man. Why wouldn't you have doubts? Even if you believe that I am, even if you take, you know, you believe that I'm telling the truth and that Elrond knows what he's talking about, um, still, it takes a lot of believing, as the gaffer might say, to think that me, that I could just waltz in and act like Elendil, right, and fill the shoes of Elendil. Um, you want to see some evidence. You want to hear some evidence, right? That I 
not just I am who I say I am, but that I can do what you what needs to be done, right? Not just that I'm distantly related to Elendo. In one sense, big whoop, right? Who cares? But in another sense, but in a bigger sense, to say, no, really, I am the heir of Elendo, right? I am going to like, the, the, the doom and great deeds have come, and I am stepping forward, right? Um, my day has come, and I'm going to step forward like Elendil did. Um, good. Galandar reminds us, of course, that he seemed to approve of Sam's skepticism back in Bree. He's not going to disapprove of Boromir's skepticism in that regard. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, exactly. Showing his credentials not for his own benefit, but for Boromir's benefit. Um, yes. It's almost like a sign of respect. I acknowledge that you deserve an explanation. You you deserve to have this proven to you, right? So let me present my reasons. Let me present my explanations. Let me tell you about who I am and why you should take the advice of that poem that my grumpy old friend over here just quoted at you, right? Um, and remember that um, all, you know, that all that glitters is not gold, right? That uh, uh, all that is gold does not glitter. Uh, sorry, sometimes I lapse back into the Shakespearean phrasing. Um, yes, yes, which of course we talked about before. Um, good. All right, I'm going to stop there. It's getting super late, uh, and I deliberately went a little bit long because we lost it a bit uh, in the middle there. Uh, but uh, we'll save that last paragraph for next time we see. And again, where where does he go? This is a long speech by Aragorn and, and an important one, and he knows it's an important one, right? So where does he go next, step by step? We looked at Boromir's rhetoric before to the audience, Right now, let's look at Aragorn's rhetoric to Boromir. Right, what is he conveying there? Um, okay, all right. Thanks everybody uh, for sticking with me, and I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna switch over. So thanks to the Twitter folks, especially those of you who are patient and bore with me during the uh, more weird for you even than for others uh, gap. I'm gonna sw- switch over to Twitch.tv/signumu, and we will uh, head over to the. Um, uh, to the field trip. Okay. Thanks. So I'll say goodnight to the Twitter folks. Which means actually disconnecting. There we go. All right. And thanks to the Talon folks. Good to have you guys with us here. Okay. All right. Hey there. Good evening. All right. Now I got to try to fire up the game again and see if it doesn't cause any horrible disaster. All right. So fingers crossed on that point. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's see. At least, if another horrible crash does occur, then. Uh,
Huh. At least if another, um, if it does occur, then I'll definitely know what was causing it. Um, yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, I have a horrible feeling. I got a bad feeling about this. I got a bad feeling about this. So I just, I just clicked on the game to launch the game. And I just got a message that says, would I like to install the high-resolution data files for this game? Yo. That can't be good. Yeah. Yo. Because I did that a long time. Okay, no, it's not doing it. All right. I'm like, it didn't, like, uninstall it so that I've got to reinstall the entire game, did it? That would be oh, really... It's really of death. Yeah. No? Okay. Seems yeah, that would be a really large download, Amethorn. You're completely right about that. That'd be uh, about two days worth. Yeah, it does, however, seem to have totally forgotten my username, which it normally remembers. Mm. Oh boy. Okay, well, but so far, no disastrous crash. So don't we'll jinx see. it. Yeah, yeah, that you so flickered far, in and out when you said that. <laughs> I'm sure it's fine. It also doesn't remember that I've ever been on any of these servers either. Oh no, he's flickering in and out. Oh, okay. What? Am I still there? Everything yeah, looks fine yeah, on my end. Oh wait, oh, I, on oh man, and now it's asking me to sign the end user license agreement again. Oh dear. All it means is it's it's lost your uh, your settings. Yeah. Spot. yeah, that's okay. Oh yeah, that's how mine refuses to remember any of my settings. All right, let's see. This is all very. <laughs> Amethorn says, "Let's read the whole thing together." Yeah, let's do a close reading of the end license, the end user license agreement. <laughs> Our worst fears. Okay. Our worst fears. Whoa. Are you hearing weird sounds? Okay. You still there, Valori? Whoa. Oh dear. Okay. Alright. People still hearing me? I'm not hearing Valori anymore, so I'm uh, a little concerned about that. You can hear both of us? Okay, I'm not hearing her at all. That's not good. Hang on a second. And maybe it's a... Maybe it's a... people can hear the game is so loud is because the game lost your file 
it lost your um, eye. Okay, hang on. I'm hearing you now. Oh, okay, good. Yay. Okay, you're back. Ray. All right. Okay. Right. And I think is that coming across on Twitch? Okay. Yeah. Okay, however, my audio is super loud. Yeah, that's just by the default of the game. Wow, oh, look, my it messed up my graphics, too. Yeah, it's like forgotten everything. Holy cow. It did. Wow, okay. Um, it's very likely that after the show, you do a restart of your system, it'll find it again, but, you know, right now it's... it's yeah. Worst case, now you have to uninstall and reinstall. reinstall but... Oh, speaking no, of... No, probably demo. not. Yeah. Okay, um... I really can't handle this level of graphics. Um, better. Still not great. Uh, better. That one's generally the one most folks do. Yeah, okay. Do not recommend 4K because the game can't play it. Well, it can play it, but the UI is. Okay. <laughs> All right. Mainly because Standing Stone hasn't had time to make a UI scaling thing for 4K. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. To Angmar, to Angmar. Phew. Let's go to Angmar. All right. Off to Angmar at last. Okay, so while we have, uh, we got a pretty good crowd with us in game here tonight. So we've been talking about this. I know that, um, you know, we've been kind of, we, you know, started off the tradition a long time ago, um, you know, years ago. What was it, 2017 that we started? It's three plus years ago now that we've been doing this? Yeah. Um, So at the beginning, three years ago, we started sort of circulating around, you know, not quite all, but many of the other servers. Um, uh, so as to make sure to give people on different servers a chance to hang out with us and come along with us on our field trips and stuff. Um, but it's not necessarily uh, um, obvious that everybody, still three and a half years later, that like everybody on all the servers is still uh, like doing that or wanting to do that. Um mm-hmm. There's definitely some servers in which we have like more participation than others, and so we were kind of thinking about you know maybe we sort of stick with the ones where we have like you know kinships who are involved. I don't know what people think about that, if because it would give more of the people who are with us more often more of a chance to come around with us, um, uh-huh. rather than attending some of the sort of smaller servers where there are fewer people and fewer listeners to the show. So where are we going to head? Are we going to ride out from Esteldin again? From uh, Esteldine, or I think on this one I can go to uh, the the other the other half. The... Hmm. I wonder if I can. Um. I know I haven't gotten any rep. Um. Let's see. Yeah, probably not. Um... I think I might have to ride out from Al Qaeda again, but. Oh, okay. Yeah. And there aren't there are only so many ways in there. 
I mean, I know I can go yeah. right to Gathforthnir from uh, Rivendell, but um, but yeah, I'm not really sure that I, I'd be. It would let me go there if I did. So um, you can't go now. I, I think I just go to Estelin. I think it's probably safest. Okay. Um, oh, you'd have to go to Estelin in any case. The question is, once we get to Estelin, right. whether we're taking a horse to Alger or Gafor. Right, well, we'll see. I guess, yeah, I'll find out from here. <laughs> okay. We'll see where I can ride. But I think, as I recall, isn't Gathforth near the... That's rep-based, isn't it? Yeah, it's yes. rep-locked. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm not going to have a rep. I'm sure yeah. of that. Greetings. Yep. Absolutely not. I'm not. Oh wait, I can I can mithril though, because this is Landerville. Yeah. Yep. Um. We can also is... get you a stack of um, rep tokens that get you the acquaintance book. Um, right. Well, but the problem also. Okay, so I can as long as I can mithril coin there, I'm not worried about it. But, but, Gathforth near is too far. We haven't been to Gathforth near yet. True. We at last. Or at the dwarf settlement. Right. Which is uh, a staple thing, but I've never seen a horse that goes to it. I think it's a place you can only go to and then you take a horse somewhere else, but you can't take a horse to it. Yeah. I mean, we could ride down McGathforth near us way the heck up here. And it would yeah. involve us riding down through all this land that we've never been to, whereas before... Yeah, it's Swift travel too, so it's not like we could just jump off when it gets interesting. Exactly, right. So, okay. I think, okay, although it's laborious, I mean, travel in Angmar is a little awkward. I mean, it's nothing like Forakel, but it's a little awkward. See, if you go to Ogher with the regular mount, you can do some travel a bit to the dwarf settlement of Gabilchuk. Okay. Whoops. Yeah, you can. Wait, if I go to if where? If you go to Ogher with the, the slow horse... Yeah. You can then swift travel to Gabil Shador, the, the dwarf settlement, oh, yeah. without okay. going all the way to Gathorn. Right, awesome, I can do awesome. that from there? Alright, I think that's going to be our that's best great. plan, so let's do all that. Right. Yeah, right. there's... I will, I will slow horse. Okay. Let's see um, my horse doesn't just jump off a cliff like last time. That's crazy. Yeah, we wouldn't want that to happen. Here, I'm still getting a lot of music. Uh, okay, um, music volume. Very much lower than whatever it is you're doing. Okay. We're going to want not much in the way of combat sound effects either. But lots of voiceover, because I dig voiceover. <laughs> sound effects probably not so needed either. So, speaking of travel, the, the fact we talked about Rune and Harad just simply meaning, like, east and south, it reminds me of, like, one of those... Uh, one of those funny little misunderstandings you get when cartographers are asking locals what this area is called. Like right. See a cartographer pointing in that direction, pointing east and going, what's over there? And they go, Rune. <laughs> right. Rune is over there. Yeah. It's over there too. And over there. Yeah. 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 The kingdom of Rune is expensive. <laughs> yeah. And uh, like that it, Harad country. <laughs> right. Right. And you know, Tolkien... Of course, very often did that. I mean, it's it's really kind of charming how many of his names for thing just translate to something really, really simple like that. Um, the thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 
Exactly. La cosa, la cosa. Um, but, uh, uh, but, uh, but yeah. Anyway, so, um, all right. So let's think about Angmar here. Hang on. I'm thinking about it, but I mean, um, I'm going to go back to the map now that I'm, and, and I trust my horse implicitly. So, uh, I'm going to, you seem to have better luck with them than me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we were, we went to the Malinhad last time to Malinhad, uh, and we got to the dwarf place. So we wanted to go back there. Um, and, uh, wait, which is called what again? What's it called? It's called uh, Gabal Shuthur, right? That's what it's called. So we're going to go back there. Then I think we should carry on exploring down around in the south here, since we're over here anyway. Yes. Um, and then after that, we can return back up here through, what's it called? Bel Bogloch. And then continue back up into Imlad Balkorth, which is where we had... F- Gotten. That was the high water mark of our explorations of Angmar previously. Um, and then once we finish in there, then we can head up in here into Himbar, where Gothforthnir is. We can head down to Barad Gularon and out towards the Rift. And then I say we then from there we can finish up towards Urugarth and Karndum. Uh where possible, so that seems like a plan. All right. That seems like a yeah. plan for Angmar. It sounds like a ding darn doable plan. Okay. Oh, Pontine says we don't need rep for Gathforth near. We only need ep- the epic quest done. How far do we need to get the epic oh, yeah. quest done uh, in order to be able to get to Gathforth near? Do you remember? Can somebody tell me exactly which chapter I need to get up to? That'd be handy. Chapter six. I mean, I've done. I mean, I, you seven. Know, done it uh, several times, but I. Uh, um, it would be nice to know what to shoot for, because I'm on book seven, which is the one right after you pass through. I just stopped as soon as I got past the statues of death. Okay, yeah. wait, so now we can talk to this guy and he can take us to Gabul Shethur, right? Thrust. Does not yes, indeed. And, oh, the look at that. Galorg. On this, I even have it open on this. Oh, uh, wow. I, was, on, I wasn't sure about on this, this server. Oh, and we're leaving again. I'm just headed back. The horse is going to Gabul Shethur by way of what? Oh, the new the new stuff. That'll, that'll be nice. Oh, it's swift travel. So, so in theory, we traveled pass through those uh, pine trees and rocks and spiders. And so stuff. I went down around this way and then looped back up around, rather than going up through the fossil. Okay. Uh-huh. Alright. Doesn't seem to me the most direct possible route, but... Okay. pine trees. Alright. Yeah, so that was one of the things that I wanted to talk about first, because one of the things that was striking me about the whole larger, you know, Ram Duath area, um, especially after the recent upgrades, is how comparatively verdant it looked, right? Um, That's exactly the word I was going to use. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was nice and um, uh, it was nice yeah. and 
green, you know. Um, here we have dead trees. We didn't have that before. I mean, this is not like the full Fornost look, right? Um, these look like, conceivably, this could just be seasonal, maybe. But mm, These are evergreens. They, yeah. They wouldn't be this color. Not, right. They're, they're dying. Yes. Those ones. That one, that looks like a deciduous tree right above my yeah, head here. Fun. Yeah, that could be. Yeah. Or yeah. It, its leaves could just be dying. Right. But yes, but I agree that the evergreens don't look great. Yeah. That one's the, like that one's about January 25th Christmas tree. <laughs> right. Right, exactly. Exactly. Um, like we're well past Epiphany that it should have been on the curb. Well yeah. past Epiphany, yes, yes. I have, a, um, I have like a, the a graveyard of Christmas trees out in the woods <laughs> behind my house, so where you can see the Christmas trees <laughs> of like the last seven years. Um, so you can see, you know, <laughs> evergreen trees in various states of. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you, of you have to be careful. Decaying wood can be toxic. Yeah, it's it's pretty far from the house. It's I I haul okay. it out a, a fair bit. It's not right next to the house. Um, okay. We have uh, we have uh, several acres of not very useful woods, but useful for dumping dead Christmas trees in. Um, yeah. But uh, <laughs> anyway, we have yeah. a similar jack o' lantern graveyard near our house. Yeah, exactly. Where all the, where the thorn bushes are. Exactly. Exactly. Um, anyway, so. But that's the interesting point, is that I can tell you from my experience in my Christmas tree graveyard, um, these do not look like long-dead evergreen trees. It's like something is just now killing these evergreen trees relatively recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's interesting to me. Um, and I'm trying to think of the, the, the story that it's suggesting. Now, somebody remind me of the plot. Uh, this guy... What am I supposed... Let's see. Is this guy the spy I'm My supposed to talk to? Let's see. What does he tell me? Uh, you're charged Arc. with the protection of here, right? Okay, and you're just wanting me to slay a bunch of orcs? Which I don't think I'm going to do, but... All right, so that doesn't tell me much about the overall plot. Who's the guy this... The guard over there said Avar. we were supposed to talk to? He's down here, right? I think he said Avar. Avar, yeah. I'm trying to remember the overall storyline of this place in particular. Yeah, this dude. Might you lend me Okay, idea? you're fortunate that we arrived. We have hidden in the shadow of Angmar for so long, but now we have been discovered. Ah, see? See? I'm right. There is a recent crisis. Okay, an orc scout stumbled into our halls a few days ago and escaped before we could slay him. Hey, notice... The reference to our halls again, like uh-huh. uh, you were telling, like you were saying in uh, um, Thorin's Gate, right? Anyway, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, right. What was uh, okay? Um, escape before we slam. Now the orcs attack us regularly. One of my dwarves returned and told us that the orcs are felling the trees north of here, and that can only mean one thing: they're making siege weapons. Uh, okay, so now we're supposed to defeat their fort. Oh, so there, the siege weapons were for these guys. Siege weapon. Oh, right. I guess those are pretty far away, but possibly. I'd like to see them get <laughs> well, those. I can see the why they're using those but... trees and not these trees. Well, yeah, sure. Um, okay, that's it. What else is? 
No, we get nothing else. Isn't there epic quest here? No. I'm still no, just supposed to get to Gathforth near. There's another quest up here. Uh, uh, he's just complaining about his lot in life. Oh, right. Typical. Come and stay a moment. Oh, yeah, Bothwar. Good old Bothwar. You're glad to do your share of the work. Oh, no, she's just complaining about other people not doing their share of the work? Yeah. Okay. Find the gems from the rocks I had to leave behind. Right. Well, okay. So that's not a not a very narratively compelling quest. I mean, I'm sure it is for that guy, but, you know. Mm-hmm. Somebody have a pet hedgehog? Yes. Yep. All right. Fair. They're so adorable. Okay, that's here's Cole over here. Kind of cute. Okay. All right. Um... Okay, fine. This guy just really wants to eat Drake eggs, which sounds vile. Okay. Yeah, it kind of does. So... Like, dragons aren't sulfurous enough. Yeah. So Can is you there... imagine the size of the omelet? <laughs> I mean, sure. Um, I mean, still sounds gross, I think, but... Um... Yeah, quantity. Okay. Quality over quantity. So... I don't remember anything about the plot line here. The plot line here is just that there's a bunch of dwarves here, and we can see what kind of dwarves they are. I mean, that's obvious, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Long beards all day, every day. I mean, their architecture says that very clearly. Yeah. As well as the, the mountains they're jammed up against. Right. And if we think geographically, right... Where are we geographically? Well, um, actually, we're closer to like the the Misty Mountain sort of thing. So, right, Misty Mountains and Edinmore Mountain Range. Okay, right. So, looking at this here, we've got the Misty Mountains. We've got Moria down here, right? So, Khazad Doom was down here. Um, uh-huh. We had dwarf activity extending up through um, to. Uh, through up up the Misty Mountains, up ultimately towards uh, Gundabad, right, in the uh-huh. old days. Um, this is still kind of a departure, right? I mean, this is in the mountains that are the mountains, the boundary between old Rudaur and Angmar. Uh-huh. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I see. Arahad is saying he's not uh, been to this game for like eight years. Yeah, you should totally play through this game. There's so much stuff. Look at this. Look at this Arahad. Look at all the stuff there is. You can go to Mordor now, right? You can go to Rovanian up here. You can get into, uh, like, check this out, huh? Right? <laughs> Iron Hills and Erebor. You can visit Erebor. You can go to Lake Town. And on Bullroar, the upper Anduin is now renamed the flood, uh, the Wells of Lang Flood. Oh, okay. Right, so we're gonna, we're moving up towards Gundabad, right? In the yeah, uh, right, bump up against it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's going to be the next expansion next spring. Cool, cool. Excellent. Anyway, sorry. Um, I. So, um, cool. All right. Um, 
So hang on. So Edith was reminding me of the, uh, the, the narrative. So the dwarves are trying to stay hidden. The rangers are sending you to find Galadir, the ranger who defied Aragorn's edict to not cross the line of statues. Right? Okay. So you just stumble. You're just you're looking for Galadir and his people, and you're like, hey, unexpected dwarves, right? Um, <laughs> and then you, um, uh, then you. What? So they're just trying to stay hidden. But they've said they've recently been discovered. So the orcs have recently discovered them. But the idea that some kind of malign influence is new, that they've not been living in the blight of Angmar for the whole time, even though they're adjacent to the blight of Angmar, right? Mm -hmm. The thing to remember, as we've been seeing, of course, with all of our recent dwarvish experience, is that what we're seeing here, right, this isn't their place, their place is inside these mountains, right? These are the front... Yes. This is like the courtyard. This isn't the, their village. This is the courtyard, the outer courtyard of their place. Marketplace, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so... Um, uh, it's... Um, so it's interesting to think that the dwarves have been here. They say they've been here so long. I wonder what that means. I have to think that they probably... um, I think that they the dwarves here Uh must have come here since um, the Witch King fell, right? Since the destruction of Angmar. Yeah. You think they're like maybe Erebor dwarves that stopped here on the way back? Maybe. I mean, it's Again, that's why I was looking at the map, because I was trying to figure out where in relationship to other dwarf things, you know, this is. And apart from being just a little bit to the north of um, the road, right, the Great East Road, um, there's really no other, like, adjacent dwarf domains here, really. Um, Of course, we met dwarves up in Forica. Moria once stretched further and then didn't anymore. Right, <laughs> right. As as, as Maelstrom, Maelstrom says, uh, a real estate agent would say, "Oh, it's not blighted; it's blight adjacent." Yes, exactly. What kind of schools does it have? Exactly. Um, Certainly no curb appeal. Yeah, well, Fort Dallas, That's what I was trying to remember. If there was any connection between these dwarves and Goladir's party. And that's what I don't... Like, if they're just entirely a sort of a side quest sort of thing, I mean, you come here and you're like, dwarves, and, you know, it does not advance the Goladir plot at all, or whether they were connected in some way. Um, mm-hmm. Well, Val Moyne makes a good point that Othricar is closest to here, but also Othricar is just in the middle of the Esseldeen right. area, and we don't know where they come from either. Yeah, that is a good call. Up in the north of the North Downs, yeah. So, for, so yeah, you're right, actually. Ulthracar would be, if we go down to the North Downs, um, yeah, that's right up here. No. Yeah. Yes, it is. It's this one. Yes. Ulthracar is, so it's not like it's directly through, but it's on the southern, it's the the southern face of these same mountains. Yeah. 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 So conceivably that would, they're on a hill sort of alone. They're not really facing any mountains, but conceivably there could be some more dwarf step up in these mountains and that's where it all connects. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yep. No, that does seem very possible. Um, that's interesting. And which one was it that we met? In it was, was it Dory that we met in Ulthricar? Gosh, I don't know. Or was it, was it Dory or Nori? Finding Dory was a quest in Ulthricar. Yes, it was. Dory. Oh, you're right. Okay, I thought. It yeah, was that's right. He wanted to single-handedly take on all the people that. Yeah. No. I, yeah. No, I remember that we Dory had to. Castle. We had to save him, but I couldn't, I, was, I couldn't remember off the top of my head which one it was. Okay, it was Dory. Um, yeah, yeah, interesting. Okay, so definitely long beards, as we knew already from their architecture. Could, yes, definitely they had to have been here long enough to have built these buildings, but that doesn't say that much. I mean, Thorin's Gate is only a couple hundred years old. Yeah. You know, less, because uh, it's, you know, since they got there um, like in Thorin's lifetime so uh, this needn't be older than that and could be younger than that I don't see any evidence I mean, I'm kind of scanning around looking I don't see any evidence of like crumbling or decaying or anything here no, it's pretty like, sturdy stuff yeah it, I mean of course you know it's dwarf constructed right so you wouldn't expect to see it already breaking down but Are these skylights? They are. Trap doors. I don't ever remember noticing these before. These are hatches that go down into, again, making it even more obvious that this, what looks like a blank wall, is really just a facade, right, of the full, you know, the delvings that are inside. And these have these hatches from up here, which is nicely defensible because no doors down in the bottom, right? Yeah, yeah. So you can only access the inside from the top of the wall. What's underneath it? Is it a rampart? Is it, like, part of the defense, or is it a full building? It looks like just a wall. Well, from up here, it certainly looks like just a wall. Yeah, I wonder what it looks like from beneath. You know, I'll go down there in a second. Just looking up here. We've got... I like the little sort of towers here. Several ground-level doors here. Yeah, it looks like it's just a wall from down here. But I wonder if, like, the trap door just leads them down just to the first level. Where just they in, yeah, the wall. Exactly. Inside, yeah, it could good. be an oubliette for Thalus. It could be, um, maybe an armory, yeah, yeah. But, um, but I, I do think it's, I mean, did I get the quest from this guy? I'm sorry, did you need something? Oh, I, this is the guy who told me to hasten up to Gethforthnir. Okay, what is this guy saying? Stay a moment, okay. I will learn the lore of Angmar if Nethra has anything to do about it. Are you speaking of yourself in the third person? No, you're not. Okay. Um, right, yeah. Oh, right. The lonely... The guy... The lonely... Yes. Okay. All right. Talk to Nethra. That sounds like a good idea. Okay. Yeah, I definitely want to talk to him. Yeah, the guy who collects swords. Right. Vague memories of him. Yeah. Okay. All right. 
So in other places, like in the other human settlements that we have seen here in Angmar, we have seen evidence of the recent malign influence of the return of like the new Angmarim, right? You know, the Mm -hmm. the return of new Angmar, Uh, especially in those uh, spiky altar slash uh, shrine slash buttress locations uh, that we've been that we've seen in several places um, and um, anyway so yeah so we've so we've seen that um, and evidence of old Angmar what is probably old Angmar's kingdom and then of course of the 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 sort of surviving indigenous culture the hillmen um, yep. before they were corrupted by the Angmar and or like when they've been in between being enslaved by Angmar right um mm-hmm. So, in here in the dwarf, little dwarf town, right, that we're in, or whatever this little outpost or um, outlet actually might even be a better way to, t- to describe it. Um, back door. <laughs> yeah, exactly, the back door, the dwarf's back door, and from their delvings in these mountains, if Othrakar is their front door. Um, anyway, we don't see any architectural evidence of... Angmarim influence, right? There's no evidence that Angmar, old or new, has ever had a hold mm-hmm. here. Oh, this, we're not even under the the, the vile dome right. that usually sits over it. Oh, right, yes, the sky, you're right, yes, exactly. Um, as, as, as Maelstrom says, it's blight adjacent, it's not blighted. Um, <laughs> so, uh, exactly, good evidence there. Um, so, um, yeah, so, but, but the one evidence that we do, that's why I really like the, I'm just getting back to the trees. It's why I really like the trees, because you can see that even here, the impact of the new Angmarim uh, kingdom, you know, the, the way that the blight is now stretching out again, the, you know, that Angmar is stretching forth its dark hand of shadow across the land once again, is evidenced here by the trees. And the, their, their discovery, it parallels the plot that they talk about, right, of being discovered by the orcs, and now the orcs are planning to attack them. Um, but it's almost like you want to tell these dwarves, like, you know, that's only like the outward manifestation. You've all, you've obviously, I mean, if you looked at these trees, like, you've obviously got a problem here, um, which goes beyond merely uh, a troop of orcs having discovered where you live. Yeah, um, I know. It's like, literally, that is the least of your worries. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, cool. All right. Well, it is super late. I know we've had lots of weirdness happening tonight. Lots of technical difficulties. Sorry about that. Uh, next week we'll we'll head out towards Nethra in the tomb over here uh, in Mythod. Um, All right. And the and the Gorothlad over here. Um, uh, and then I guess in towards Imlad Bor. Borchoth, Balchorth again. I'm going to have so much fun saying all these names. <laughs> yes, exactly. Always fun to pronounce. Okay. Definitely. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. This has been a lot of fun, and I will see you guys next week. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of The Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org fund.